What's going on, everyone? And welcome back to our fourth episode of Ball Hawk Talk. Like always, I'm your host, Adam Boys. I'm joined here with Liam and Ben. So, boys, how's it going today? I'm good. A little hungover from last <laughs> night, but uh, getting some more beers in me, so we should be good to go. How about you, Willie? Let's just say to the listeners that uh, all three of the boys in the Ball Hawk Talk are not doing too well this morning. Um, it's been a rough morning for the fellas, and uh, we're trying to have a three-day bender. So, uh, round two tonight. That, you know, I'm not feeling the best. 14 beers down the hatch last night. Playing 14 some- <laughs> beers, boys. <yes. laughs> playing That's some tough. playing some Zoom trivia. It was uh, it was it was it was a day. It was a it was a night. Uh, but anyways, recent news in the NHL: Claude Julian fires from the Habs. I'm kind of shocked on this. To be honest, he kind of turned that team around. But curious to hear what your thoughts are. Yeah, you see, the thing with Claude Julian is he's always had really good five on five and defensive teams. Uh, where he struggles is always uh, the power play and penalty kill. Um, but yeah, I, th- I think he's a good coach. I-, I don't really see this as a good firing. Like he had a couple bad games against the Senators. Without that, he had a great start to the season. So yeah, how about you, Willie? I have two takeaways from this. Um, my-, my first one is Mark Bergevin is one of the most patient general managers in the entire NHL. So just basing it off of my understanding of, of Mark, um, this has been in the works for a while. This wasn't just an instant reaction. Oh, we lost all the senators. Let's fire him. Um, I think this is from the beginning of the season. They had this in mind. Um, but I, I, I don't understand it. I don't understand why. Um, I don't think any other head coach possible could, could um, make the Montreal Can- Canadians play marginally better. Um, I think that given their roster, they don't have star, star talent. Um, they have to grind out games. And that's what they did with Claude. Um, I don't know why they did it, but I'm guessing Mark has a, has a pretty good reason. Yeah, for me, I don't get it just because they're that team that's built on like a system running four lines. And that's kind of like Coach Claude Julian is. He's a proven coach. He's got a couple of cups. He's coached at the Olympics. He's a very experienced coach. And for me, I saw a take on Twitter. It's kind of like that Mike Babcock, Sheldon Keith, but I completely disagree with that because Dominic Ducharme hasn't worked with the Canadians that long. He was an o- a CHL coach and coached Canadian World Juniors in 2017, I believe. So it's not like that coach has been with these players for a while and grown up through a system like Sheldon Keith has. So, I mean, Dominic Ducharme is a great coach. He ca- uh, got a gold medal in Canada, but for me, I just don't get that because I think Claude Julien's one of the best coaches in the league and he's up there like all time for me. But to get it going, I saw I was going through TSN trying to think some stuff to talk about, and I came across Craig Button's Team Canada 2022 roster. And let's be real, it is stacked. So I'm just gonna list it off for the, the listeners out there. He's got three goalies at Carey Price is number one, Carter Hart and Mackenzie Blackwood. His three D pairings are Shea Theodore, Kale McCarr, Morgan Riley, Alex Petrolangelo, Thomas Shabbat, Shea Weber, and his eight, six, seventh and eighth defensemen are Bowen Ryan at 20 years old and Colton Preco. And then he's got four forward lines. So Jonathan Huberto, McDavid, McKinnon. He's got Marshawn, Crosby, and Bergeron, that experience line. And then he's got Bo Horvat, Braden Point, Mitch Marner. And to finish it off, Ryan O'Reilly, Mark Shifley, Mark Stone with his two extra fours is Nick Suzuki, Matt Barzell. So what are your initial thoughts about this team? Can we talk about Carey Price quick? Like, he's not good anymore. Like, he hasn't been good in three-ish years. Uh, yeah, I, I don't think... Team Canada is stupid enough to put him as the starting goalie. Carter Hart's clearly the best goalie on this team. I think the three goalies should be Carter Hart, number one, and then whoever you like out of Bennington and Blackwood, uh, unless another goalie emerges in the next couple of years. Uh, but what are your th- guys' thoughts on that? Is, is Hart that number one guy, though? Like, he hasn't been playing much better than Price this, this year, year either. Yeah, I yeah, mean, it's a smaller sample size for Hart. Like, he was really good last year. Like, it, it, there's only been, like, 20 games this season, so we'll give him a chance to heat up. Uh, he's also really young and is going to improve in the next couple of years. He's, in my opinion, might be the best goalie in the league by 2022. We'll see. There's a couple yeah. guys in there. Vasilevsky, Shostjerkin. Uh, no other names are coming to the top of my head right now. <laughs> uh, yeah. Yeah, I completely... I- I just think Price is there because of his experience in that 20, was it 2016 though? When was it? When they went to, uh, was it 2014 maybe? 26, whatever the year 20, was. It was 2014, yeah. yeah 2014. 2014. Uh, he played amazing in that team. I know that would be technically eight years ago from the 2022 Olympics, but he's got that experience. I think you need him on that roster. Maybe he's not the starting guy, but I think you carry him in case 
someone like Carter Hart's a starting goaltender and gets shaken at 25 years old. Mackenzie Blackwood's young. Jordan Vincent's so young and hasn't had so much experience. Lee, he's been in the cup, but he hasn't been in the league that long given his, his storyline. So I don't know if he's going to be the number one guy to come to the Olympics, but I still think it's important to bring him just because his experience and his veteran leadership on a team. I'll give you a dark horse who I really like that you guys mentioned. Mackenzie Blackwood. Um, Unreal. He, he's, he was injured at the beginning of this season. He's come back and I'm a big fan of his. Like, um, I think he can kind of emerge as, you know, um, I'm blanking on his full name, but I think Josh Levi was the goalie for World Juniors who kind of came out of uh, nowhere. Devin, Le- Devin Levi, yeah. Devin Levi. I, I kind of see a, a little bit similar story where people are like, who's Blackwood? He comes out, then he balls uh, for Team Canada. So, Yeah, one of my brother's uh, friends is a diehard Devils fan. He's a huge Mackenzie Black guy guy. I have his numbers up right now. Eight games started this year. A 234 goals against average is a 932 save percentage. So I think he's like two shutouts as well. <laughs> yeah, no, the guy's a beast. So my initial takeaway from this roster is kind of that bottom, that bottom six. They snub JT, they snub Stamkos in this, and they're kind of replacing with youth like Nick Suzuki and Matt Barzell. So I'm curious to see your thoughts on this as well. Yeah, so my thoughts are Stamkos and Fares definitely deserve to be there, especially in those extra forward roles. If Nick Suzuki is like the 13th forward, he's probably not going to play. I think I would rather have some of the experience and leadership of uh, a John Tavares or Steven Stamkos. I also, they had Bo Horvat on the third line. You're telling me yeah. Bo Horvat's better than uh, John Tavares or Steven Stamkos. Yeah. And they also had Mark, Matt Barzell out of the top, uh, out of that bottom six. He should definitely be there above Bo, Bo Horvat. I get what they're kind of trying to do with a shutdown yeah. line. And I guess Bo Horvat fits that, but I don't like it. Yeah, I, I agree. Like, I, I don't think you need Suzuki. Um, I think you need more scoring prowess because you already have O'Reilly. Yeah. Um, you have Horvat and you have Stone who are kind of the, uh, those lockdown um, defensive uh, two-way forwards. So I think if you can have, you know, I, I think a guy who I would love uh, to have on this roster is JT Miller. Uh, you watch him. He, he creates He's American. Plays. Oh, who? JT, yeah. JT Miller's American. <laughs> well, you fuck up sometimes, don't you? Yeah, yeah. The hangover. So Let's like keep the boys around and fact check me. <laughs> this one, the Cowboys cap room. You're having a tough go lately. Oh, actually, I want to bring that up while we're on the podcast. Okay, so I have a question for you, lads. So right now, the Pittsburgh Steelers are minus, I don't know the exact number. I want to say $40 million um, below the, or above the cap. Yeah. I saw so that. when we had the Cowboys conversation, I said that they had, I forget what, it, what the exact number was. Like, it's like 17 million. Like 17, 17 million. And then you brought up Dak Prescott. And that, that's a good point. So then if they sign Dak Prescott, they're going to have minus three mil. But how low can they go? Like, can they go minus 40? Like, I have no idea, to be honest, the, the rules on the salary cap. But I know the Steelers have a lot. There are a lot of the hole. And but they, it's not just the Steelers. It's the Saints. It's, it's so yeah, many Yeah, I don't get it, to minus. be honest. Yeah, I don't get how the cap works. It's, if they're they're going to get fine draft picks and yeah. money if they go over. Um, It would be funny to see a team just be like, yeah, we're $40 million over the cap. What are you going to do? Um, <laughs> I, I don't know the exact uh, consequences out. they would face, but I'm sure uh, it probably wouldn't be worth yeah. it. So all those teams got to get cutting a bunch of guys like the saints they're like way over the cap they're gonna have to destroy that entire roster well we're gonna see one of the craziest off off seasons oh yeah ever because the salary cap's not going up Up. the way they projected and a lot of these teams are absolutely screwed because of this you're gonna see like alshon jeffrey alshon jeffrey was cut on the other day Um, he also sucks though he he also yeah (laughs) well you know (laughs) Deshaun but, um, Jackson. <laughs> Deshaun, don't get me started. <laughs> but like so many, so many veterans are about to be cut. Um, I, I, uh, Casey off the Broncos was cut. He's a beast. Yeah. Um, so it's going to be, there's going to be a lot. Like I think the bills like Star Letelier probably will get cut. I can see Mario Addis and the veterans. Just, I just looked at the bills roster the other day and their cap saving. That's why I'm kind of bringing those names up off the top of my head. But yeah, it's going to be an interesting off season with the cap, the trade rumors around everyone and just, the draft and free agency, which is always a fun time, but we can kind of head head back to that. Unless uh, BMAC has something else to just say before we get back. Yeah, to the I was roster. just gonna say it's it's gonna be interesting to see um, 
what teams that have that cap room to see if any of these teams actually take advantage of maybe getting discount deals in this season because players maybe aren't going to have those other offers from other teams that they can use as leverage. So some teams with big cap cap room might come out of this offseason looking really good and having some discount deals on their roster. Yeah, Washington true. football team. New England Patriots have a lot of cap room. Uh, Colts have not. a lot. The Jags have a lot. I mean, they're rebuilding, but the Colts have a lot of cash to splash, and they already have a very, very solid roster. So, if you're the Colts, are are you going all in? Like, like at what yep. point do you say I'm done accumulating assets? Let's break the bank. Let's let's do this shit. I don't think they're scared to go all in. Like, they don't care about. They're not. They're not afraid to trade the first round pick to me. I'm saying to get an upgrade. Like last year, they trade their first round pick for DeForest Buckner, and I know people are. It's a first round pick, but you're getting if DeForest Buckner is worth your first round pick, I'm very happy making that deal because it's probably rare that Javon Kinlaw, who they t- the Canaris took in that position, is going to turn into an all pro, two time all pro like DeForest Buckner. So I don't think the Colts are afraid at all. They have so much cap room. They have one of the best defense in the league, one of the best offense in the league. You got a couple more receivers on that outside. That's a very, very scary team that honestly, in my opinion, can challenge the Chiefs if they have a proper offseason. Squirrel, we uh, diverted off the main. We diverted pretty but, heavily, but, but <laughs> back you know, to Team Canada. That's what that's what podcasts are for. We just get going. But anyways, so we're talking about that bottom six. We, I want to kind of transition that defense. The kind of thing that shocks me is Dougie Hamilton not being on the roster. So I wanted to hear you guys' thoughts about this. This is fucking ridiculous. <laughs> You're gonna put Shea Weber in there over Dougie Hamilton, who was maybe the front runner for the Norris before you got injured last year, like. 100%. Dougie Hamilton's not only one of the best defensemen in Canada, one of the best defensemen in the world, and especially on a team full of talent, you want a guy who can move the puck like that guy. He is a special, special player, and I, I can't believe Craig left him off his, this team here. Dougie Hamilton's slightly overrated. Oh. No. Um, I don't agree. Listen, I, listen, I would honestly, like, it, it depends how you're constructing your roster, right? Like, okay, so you have... Okay, so what, what's the first, first D pair? Kel McCarr- so and Shea Theodore. So two very good puck-moving oh, defensemen. Okay, so puck-moving defensemen. Who's number two? Morgan Riley, Petrolangelo, who probably... They're both offensive, but those are both players that have played a shutdown defense. They're, they've transitioned to defensive. No, defensive. more more, more he's, can't play D. More know, is he, not good defensively. But, and who, who's third? I love him, but he's not good defensively. And then you have Thomas Shabbat, Shea Weber. Okay, so you just listed five out of the six defensemen who are mostly offensive defensemen. I, I honestly would rather like have someone like Devon Taze. I know that's a pretty outlandish take, but over Dougie Hamilton, like, I don't know. I, I don't think you need another puck moving defenseman who can shoot the puck in the net when I would rather have a, um, a good two way defenseman yeah. who's going to be sound in the defensive zone below the net. I would rather Colton Prinkle. If I you're going to have a guy like that. Um, mm-hmm. He's big, like just like Shayla rubber. He's huge. He's going to have a mat. He's got a massive shot. If you want to put him on the power play. I don't think you would with all these guys, but if you need a guy to just absolutely blast one, he's your guy, but he's also just so good defensively. I, I think he's definitely a good guy for that kind of third pairing, maybe not get the most minutes, but when they need him and shut down, he'll be there. I 100% agree with that. I think the last takeaway I have is how fun is that power play? I just want to see Crosby and McDavid play together. I, that's all I'm looking forward to, just seeing the best player of, my generation going up and now the best player can do in the future, just play on the ice together. Kind of that, that young and old kind of like that Tom Brady, Patrick Mahomes, Super Bowl kind of thing, the young generation versus the, the old. What do we think the first power play is going to be? What uh, Craig doesn't pro- have a projection for this, but I would assume it would be McDavid McKinnon. And then it kind of gets probably cro- forwards. Or I, I think you got to put Cross- on D. Yeah. I'd say he's their, their one D I'd probably put Crosby in that bumper role. Like in front of the net, uh, and then you have McKinnon, uh, got to be McDavid. Then the last one, could, would you could you put a Mitch Marner on there? Someone who's very. I was thinking, costume. man. Imagine Mitch Marner, Kale McCarr, McDavid, and Crosby all on the same. Like, yeah, I think, you, I think this is what you want. Wants to, he's not on this roster that Craig projected, but I think you want Stamkos maybe here. For I that agree. Shot. Yeah, on defense, put him great. put him on defense. Or just you can put McCarr at the top and just have Stamkos play the slot he does in the he plays on the lightning that one timer set up. It just adds another element. Like all these guys are dynamic with the puck, but you don't have that that one timer 
big one-timer threat, to be honest, because none of these people are really that type of player. But you put Stamkos on that left side, and I don't know if you put a Marner or McDavid just feeding him on that gives you another weapon to that power play. Okay, so McCarr, Stammer, Crosby, McDavid, Marner. Yeah. Go fuck myself. Like, <laughs> holy shit. <laughs> yeah, I mean, it's literally they're endless. You literally can pick games out of the hat, and that's an insane power play. All these the team Canada is so skilled, like they're definitely the front runner. I mean, USA has a good deep pairing. They have an awesome Matthews. They have a Jack Eichel. They have really good goaltending. I think that's the thing that US wow, that was bad. That US is really better than Canada's at goalies and the defensive end. Yeah, US, their goalies are scary. Like, yeah, Hell- Hellebuck. Oh, kind of divert to there. Who starts Hellebuck or Gibson? Who's your number one goalie? Oh, that's so tough. I know. Such a that's tough call. so tough. I, I think probably a Hellebuck right now, but it's going to be a race in these next this next year to see who kind of starts. And they'll probably just play whoever the hot hand is. Like They're going <laughs> to split starts in the round robin, but whoever's playing the best is, is going to get the net in the finals, semifinals, however far they make it. Yeah, 100% agree. So kind of sum up, pretty exciting time. I really hope the players you go to the Olympics and COVID doesn't, is an issue with that because I just want to see Olympic hockey again. It's probably one of the, my favorite things to watch as a sport fan. So we can kind of transition to our main discussion of the day. Uh, so like each week we're going to have a main discussion. Today we're going to go back to our football roots. We're going to put ourselves in the position as a scouter GM and discuss one. what is one key attribute you look for in an NFL prospect's particular position group. So we're just going to pick a particular position group and evaluate them. Then we're going to do a group evaluation of the quarterback at the end. So, Willie, why don't you start us off? Because I know you're pretty excited about your analysis. You want me to start it off? Okay. Go for it. Um, so, the position group I chose was safety. Um, I'm a big fan of safety. One of my favorite positions um, in football. So, like, the reason I like a safety is I think it can really transform a defense. Um, you saw it um, with Micah Fitzpatrick and the Pittsburgh Steelers where Micah was kind of given the reins and He's able to do whatever he wants, not defense, and it really transformed um, the Steelers' defense in total. So there, there's a couple of things I look at. So fast, uh, side-to-side movement, hard-hitting, extreme football IQ, and explosive. Um, another thing I like when talking about safeties is uh, heritage from formal, former NFL players. Um, like, I know when you came up to me last year and you're talking about Antoine Winfield Jr. and I, I did a little bit of research on him and I saw he's a baller and I also saw that his dad was an absolute baller too. And I didn't understand why most teams didn't have a first round consensus on him. I, I think he was almost a, a surefire star in the NFL. Um, his dad was a beast. You know what type of culture he was raised in. You know the type of mentality his dad had growing up. Um, and he, he, he was raised with that. So um I like safety because I think it's a lot of it has to do with football IQ. Yeah. Um, you, you, like for example, they give Eddie Jackson the reins in um, Chicago. They gave Jamal Adams the reins um, in both the Jets and Seahawks and Micah Fitzpatrick. So you have to have extreme football IQ. But one thing I found extremely interesting um, when I was doing a little bit of research for this podcast was last week we had a conversation with linebackers. And I, and I stated that um, going through the past four years, the past four drafts, that most starting linebackers are blue chip prospects, meaning that they were drafted in the first round and they were highly touted. It's decently rare that you find a starting linebacker in the NFL that um, was not a blue chip prospect. Um, I, I think I was able to name six from in the past four years. And one thing that BMAC said was maybe because there's only two linebackers on the field at once. And, you know, I thought that was interesting. I'm like, yeah, okay. Uh, You know, on the collegiate level, you don't get to see as many uh, linebackers as you do wide receivers or, or or offensive linemen. Um, But then I started doing a little bit of safeties and I went through the past four drafts and this is might take a little bit long, but I'm going to state every single player drafted every single safety. Who's currently a starter drafted from 2020 to 2017. So you got Julian Blackman drafted 85th overall, Jeremy Chin, 64th, Antoine Wintold, 45th, Nazir Adderley, 60th, Chauncey Gardner-Johnson, 105, Jonathan Abram, 27, Darnell Savage, 21, Taylor Rapp, 61. 
Derwin James, 17. Micah Fitzpatrick, 11. Ronnie Harrison, 93. Justin Reed, 68. Jesse Bates, who's a beast, by the way, 54th. Terrell Edmonds, 28th. Jordan Whitehead, 117th. Jamal Adams, 6th. Malik Hooker, 15th. Jabriel Preppers, 25th. Buda Baker, 36th. Marcus Williams, 42nd. Marcus May, 38th. And Eddie Jackson, 112th. So one thing I found interesting was you see a significant amount of safeties drafted outside the first round. I counted 16 in the past four years drafted outside the first round who are currently starters and are most of them are stars in the NFL. Yeah. Why? Why do you see so many, so many safeties not drafted in the first round are currently starters and stars, but linebackers, mostly blue chips, are starters and you rarely see people drafted out of the first round are starters. Why? I don't understand. I mean, that doesn't really make sense. The only thing I can think of is just GMs don't value safety as first round talents just because I like the way they think of it, they can convert slot cornerbacks to a safety. You can play a corner at safety. You can play a lot of people at that safety position. And I think that's why they maybe not value it as much in the first round because there's so many all alternatives to playing a safety you can play a linebacker you can play a lot of people with the line of scrimmage you can put a cornerback like i said at safety i think that's probably the explanation i would go is just gms don't value it because it's kind of an expendable position considering what formation you play or what formation you want to run i i've got a pretty good opinion on this i i think safety is such a diverse position in the nfl there's so many different ways to play you got your box safeties your deep safeties so i think it's kind of hard to evaluate in the college level. Like a lot of these guys are playing different positions. You see Jabil Peppers, he transitioned from linebacker, um, but it's such a scheme dependent position uh, where you see guys like Jamal Adams, where he's rushing the passer and getting like eight sacks a year. And then you see other guys like Buda Baker who kind of plays a little bit more deep safety. It's, it's just such a diverse position where there's so many different ways to do it. And it's so scheme dependent that I think drafting guys based on your scheme or fitting your scheme to guys you draft is the best way to do it for safeties uh, where linebackers, you kind of just toss that guy in the middle of the defense. Now it, there is scheme dependencies in line on linebackers, but I think it's less so than safeties. Yeah. Very, very yeah. well said. Very well said as well. I agree. Um, another thing, that I, I was thinking uh, a possible hypothesis is um, a lot of these starting safeties in the NFL are really young. And one, a safety hot starts to be have regression in his speed and acceleration. He kind of falls off the map. A really good example. Of this is haha Clinton Dix. Um, he was a beast with the Packers. And all of a sudden you're like, where is he? He's playing with the bears. He is cut by the Cowboys. Uh -huh. um, and then you see someone like um, David on the Buccaneers who only gets better with age and he just won a Super Bowl, and he's an absolute beast and one of the best linebackers, if not the best linebacker in the NFL. And he's oh, been, he, not the best linebacker. Uh, the top five. Okay. He's top up five. there, but but he, but no. Like Fred Warner, Bobby Wagner, I still sits up there. I probably put him that Darius Leonard. Yeah, but I mean, Darius Leonard's kind of like that outside linebacker. Like if you're yeah, thinking like is. more Mike, like Darius Leonard rushes past, but I think that's more. He's more Levante David's more of Mike, say Bobby Wagner and Fred Warner. But I, I would put him like top three to top five range. I would say. Who is the other linebacker on the Seahawks? Is it Jan what, what's his name? Uh, Come on. Wright is his last right. name? KJ yeah. Wright. Yeah. No KJ one ever Wright. shows KJ Wright any love. He's a beast. He's yeah. a beast. I, I, I think he might be a free agent this year, and he was a guy that was really hoping to get paid. And uh, as we were talking about earlier, he might have to end up taking a one-year kind of discount deal. Um I'm not sure. I'm, I might be wrong there. He might not have his deal up, but I think he, he's a free agent. Yeah. Well, this is for you since you're talking about safeties. Would you rather a number one lockdown corner or a number one stud safety in the league as your team if you get to have one position? That's a really good question. <laughs> um, I, it, I, I think it's corner. Yeah. T 10 times out of 10. But man, like, I love me my safeties because <laughs> I, I honestly believe in what you what you, you guys are talking about and you guys are referring to um no position football. And that, that's what I love. Um like Simmons who came who got drafted uh, eighth overall by the Cardinals last year kind of has no position football. Same with Jamal Adams, same with Mickey Fitzpatrick. They can blitz the passer or they can play deep or they can do whatever they want, right? 
Um, so that's the thing I love about safeties. It's, they don't really have a position on the field. They can do whatever they want, but a corner man, like if you're going against Jamal Adams, like you need a number one corner. There's no yeah. question. You're going to get roasted. Times. Yeah. That's what I would say too. I'd rather have a lockdown corner because they're more dependent to your success or getting asked to guard the number one receiver in the team. We're all safeties kind of roaming the field playing zone while a corner is going to be matching up most of the game, like face guarding the number one receiver. See, I would almost rather the safety because I see corner as a weak link position. What I mean by that is I'd rather have depth at the corner position because because what offenses will do is they'll just attack whoever the weakest corner is on the field. Yeah. I think it, it would be a good exercise on the podcast one day to go through position groups and see if they're maybe weak link positions or they're strong link positions where you want a lockdown corner or you want depth. Uh, I see corner as a weak link you want that depth and safety. I see more as a strong length position where you can get one guy and just roam the field and do whatever the hell you want with them. I like that. I think that's genius. Absolutely. Yeah. Like the Dallas Cowboys. <laughs> oh, come on. That is still, I can't want you tell everyone how much money you put on the Dallas Cowboys when the Super Bowl is. Just I so recently it's... put $650 <laughs> on the Dallas Cowboys to win the Super Bowl. That's... I will let you guys know how my bets go. BMAC, on to you. Who are you talking about? So I'm talking about running backs. That's also the position group that we're going to evaluate at the end of the podcast. Um, so I kind of took the approach of getting five different traits that I look at uh, when scouting a running back. Uh, and I actually did this in order of uh, importance. importance. Uh, my, my first one is vision and instincts. I don't think you can succeed at the NFL level without good vision and good instincts can i pause you you can pause me okay. jump right in who has the best vision and instincts in the nfl for which running back i might say dalvin cook okay okay continue he okay. is good at setting up his blockers mm -hmm. and just making good reads at the line of scrimmage um but yeah i think it's really important to get what your blockers give you you don't want to mm -hmm be like say saquon has great vision don't get me wrong but he sometimes tries to do too much and go up busted outside and you see a lot of college running backs that are going into the nfl this is one of the biggest things that they struggle with and they improve on throughout the season like you saw miles sanders uh two years ago what i thought he looked like dog shit to start and then now he's one of the best running backs in the nfl now that they learned how to read uh, NFL blocking uh, and same with kind of Jonathan Taylor where he, where he mm -hmm. came on at the end of the year um, so I think it takes a little bit to learn NFL blocking schemes but I think that is really one of the most important things um, at the running back position my Your second favorite. trait uh, did you want to jump in there Adam yeah the one thing I want to say is like I 100% agree with that and the thing I kind of look when I think of vision is when you're talking about the current running back is Dalvin Cook when I think about vision is Le'Veon Bell in his prime on that Steelers probably had one of the best visions I've ever seen as a running back. He was so patient. He literally just, he would like almost stop when he's running behind his offensive lineman and see what to do next. So I just wanted to put that out there. I think Le'Veon Bell in his prime, not now, uh, but when he's in his prime, that Steelers roster, that run he had was probably honestly one of the best visions I've ever seen as a running back. Yeah, he was so fun to watch. Like yeah. I would love to Maybe he can't do it anymore, but I'd love to see him behind an elite offensive line again, yep. like the Steelers yeah. were. I think to do that, you do need a very elite offensive line, but he was just Unreal. so fun to watch. Unreal. Yeah. Uh, let's move on to my second trait. And this is, again, a very important trait for running backs in the NFL. You can't succeed without it. And that is contact balance. Running through arm tackles. Alvin Kamara. <laughs> Alvin Kamara just glides on the field. Uh now, this is one of the reasons why I really liked Kareem Hunt coming out. He just didn't go down in college. He's so thick. Like, you see his legs. He's quadzilla like Austin Matthews. Um, and getting those extra yards are so important at the running back position. Just a couple yards after contact is the difference between an elite running back and a terrible running back. I'll, I'll, I'll give you a go right, right there. Uh, like... Con, who was on the podcast last week, is a real big Steelers fan. And we I watched a lot of uh, Connor. And like the guy can't get those extra yards. It's yeah, so frustrating. Can. It's I agree with you, man. Like you need that guy who can, if you're gonna run it up the seam, uh, at least get an extra like three yards. It it yeah. helps immensely. Now, my next trait, unless you wanted to jump in there, Adam, is no, go for it. 
pass catching slash pass blocking. Uh, in today's NFL, I think this is so important. Uh, as an offense, scheme your offense, you want to have a running back in there where the defense doesn't know what you're going to do. Like if you just toss in like a Giovanni Bernard, the defense is like, okay, you're going to pass the ball. Like this isn't hard. Now he does run from time to time, but he's not very effective. Um, now I want a team that I, I want a running back who can be on the field, all three downs, be a workhorse. Now there is space for scat backs in, in the NFL. You, you do need that. If you have a Derek Henry who Derek Henry, maybe not the best pass catcher, but he's, he's a unicorn. He's kind of, you don't really have to pass catch when you can just run for run 2000 yards. Uh, no, I think he is underrated as a pass catcher and they should use him a little bit more. Um, but guys that this really impressed me with coming out were Christian McCaffrey, obviously, and Saquon who were just elite route runners and had great hands. Uh, what are you guys thoughts on yeah. a three down back? In today's I, NFL? I a hundred percent agree. I think a three down back is so powerful for a team to have because it puts another dimension to your offense. Like you said, you line up in the shotgun, you can play action out of that and you can run the football. As long as you, you can keep defenses on the edge of their feet by having a three down back, like you said, that Gianni Bernard comment, it kind of tips their play what they're going to run. And I just think when you mentioned Derrick Henry, if Derrick Henry can develop a very sound pass catching game and prove in the off season, he might be one of the most dominant running backs of all time. If he can develop as a successful pass catcher. All right, so let's move on to my next trait here, and that is burst and athleticism. Uh, this is all the way down at four. I don't think it's the most important trait. It might be the most sexy trait. Like you see these guys like Saquon coming out, running four fours and just being absolute athletic freaks. Uh, I would rather a guy that can get what the blockers give you. Um, but it is really important to be able to hit those home runs like Derrick Henry just getting 100-yard runs, 99-yard runs, like he, he's a freak. Uh, against Christian McCaffrey, he's also ran like a 4-4. breaks big runs all the time. Uh, and Saquon is obviously, if you're going to go one guy who's just an athletic freak, Saquon is is that. Um, but again, this, is, this athleticism is important to break tackles and hit home runs, but I don't think it's more important than uh, vision or pass blocking and pass catching. Agreed. Like if I'm going to pick a running back um, in the draft, I want a guy who every single time he steps on the field, like the opposing defenses are scared that he's going to run at home 60 yards. Yeah. Like he has to be explosive enough. And, and the key guy, I think, and I don't want, I know we're going to have a con this conversation later, but um, I think of Etienne. And that's one thing I don't feel out of Etienne. Um, I don't think that he, every single time he's on the field that, oh shoot, he, he might break a tackle and go like and before you know it, he, he's at the house whereas christian mccaffrey i think you're absolutely spot on every time christian mccaffrey's on the field fuck that defense is scared he, he could take it to the house yeah exactly all right so we do, we're gonna move on to my last one and that is just will the will to get that extra yard <laughs> this is like maybe an Emmett Smith kind of trait that he, he like had that. this like he just he would get that extra no matter what he had to do he was getting that extra yard yeah uh, and I, I know I've said that a lot, get that extra yard, but it's so important and it separates the elite running backs. Um, and this is also kind of what I see is getting better every day at practice. Yep. It's, it's a hard trait to evaluate. Don't get me wrong. And that's why I think it might be the most important, but I have it all the way down at five. Cause it's just so hard to tell which running backs have these. Well said. So I can get, kind of get going in my category. So I kind of want the wide receiver position. We talked about them as a draft prospect. So I took a different approach. I uh, took one trait I would look for in a receiver and went pretty in-depth in that. So one evaluating receiver, I'm looking at a few things, top-end speed, elusiveness, jump ball, such a vertical, catch radius, football IQ. All these criteria attributes I look for, but the most important attribute to me is separation and route running. In my opinion, a very talented separator, route runner, can play multiple schemes and positions. So if you had that downfield threat like Tyree Kill, he's more typically lined up on the outside. You have a Julio Jones, the number one, like one on one receiver. He's going to be lined up the outside. But if you have someone that's a very talented route runner, you can play in the slots, like Jarvis Landry. You can play on the outside. Devontae Adams is one of the best route runners in the game, and he can line up on the outside because of that. So being a successful route runner allows you to separate all phases of the field. That's what they look for. If you can separate the line of scrimmage, can you separate 
in the middle of the field, so comeback routes. And can you separate in that last instinct at the top of the field on a post route or a corner route, something like that? So having successful route running is so important to me. So I knew this was important. So I took a deeper dive into like the advanced statistics. So I took a look at the top 10 receivers, so not tight ends and yards in the 2020 season and looked at their average separation statistics. So essentially this means like catches and routes, how many yards on average you're able to separate from your receiver at the end of your route. So I'm going to list the top 10 and just go in order. So Stefan Diggs, average yard per reception, 3.3. Hopkins, 3.2. Justin Jefferson's 2.9. Calvin Ridley, 3. Devontae Adams, 3.4. DK Metcalf, 2.8. Hill, 3.4. DJ Moore, 4.3. Brandon Cooks, 3.0. And Terry McLaurin's 2.8. The only outlier in that group that I did not mention was Allen Robinson at 2.4. So I'm kind of curious to see your thoughts about kind of that correlation between average yard separation to the most yards in the league. Yeah, this is like some of it. If you look at Tyree killer, DK Metcalf, maybe they're not the best route runners, runners, but they're really good at creating separation with that elite speed. Uh, So I think maybe if you're not the best route runner, you definitely need some of those other traits to succeed. Uh, What are your thoughts, Willie? Yeah. Like I, I agree. And, and uh, the way I would answer this is, is with a question um, or, or kind of an answer. If I can start any team um, start with a wide receiver, it would be Jamal Adams. I like I, I Adams. You mean, sorry, sorry. Devontae Adams. I agree with you a thousand percent in, in route running is the most important. Like it's, it's three and one, you got to pass the ball. Like, you know, he's going to create separation yeah. uh, against one-on-one and you know, it's footwork. Um, a, a big thing for you, a big thing for me, um, is the get off and, uh, and initiate the line of scrimmage. Um, one person you didn't mention there was, um, Keenan, Keenan Allen. Keenan Allen, yeah. Allen is very good route runner. One of yeah, the best I think I forgot about him. But he was, he wasn't listed. Why do you think that is? I don't know. I think maybe I missed him in the top 10, but Keenan Allen's one of the best route runners in the league. And that showed, I'm going to talk about this actually a bit about Justin Herbert and that showed dividends to have a successful route runner and the impact it can have on a QB. You're putting an inexperienced QB. If you have a good route runner and you can trust me at separation, he's going to help that offense and transform that offense. But if he has someone like a downfield threat and you don't have that good, good like QB, it might not help him if he can't make that throw, but by getting separation, on tough routes, it makes it easier for a QB's life. So the last thing I kind of went into is I took kind of a, a correlation between two QBs and kind of looked at average yards per separation again. So I used two rookie QBs. So I used Justin Herbert and compared Justin Herbert's average yards per separation per receiver to two Atonga Veloa. I didn't want to use experienced QBs like Mahomes or Rogers because you kind of use that how talented, how experienced they are, kind of defeats the purpose of the statistic. So when I look at Justin Herbert, so I'll list Justin Herbert's stats. 4,400 yards, sixth in the league, 31 touchdowns, 10th, 66.6% completions, 15th, and their team offense, ninth in average yards per game, since sixth in average passing yards per game, 16th in average points per game, and their yards per separation team average was 2.9, which is above the league average. So then when you look at the Dolphins, two would have not had that good of a season, but I'm going to get into that. So 31st in yards per game, 26th in QB rating, and 13th in completion percentage. Team offense, when he played, I'm not taking games uh, Ryan Fitzpatrick played 23rd passing yards per game 22nd total yards per game 13th in points per game that's more because of defense too but when you're looking at yards per separation their average per their team was 2.2.0 on the butt and two of their top receivers Devonta Park and Mike Gusecki were bottom loss at 1.7 and 1.8 in the league so it kind of shows how much dividends yards per separation can have impact on a rookie QB when someone who's not experienced in the league can't get that separation the receiver they're gonna struggle as you saw two of it in the league yeah, I think that's very important to when you drop a young QB in there, you want to have the weapons to be able to tell if they're a good QB. Where you have on the Denver Broncos, you got Cortland Sutton, Jerry Judy, KJ Hamler. That is going to be an awesome spot if Drew Locke doesn't uh, end up working there. That's going to be an awesome spot for a quarterback soon. But yeah, Tua, I think he's pretty dog shit, but he also didn't, you can't evaluate him with those receivers. Yeah, exactly. That's my point. Uh, it's I think it's too early to say on Tua because of, I don't want to go into it too much, but it's too early to say because of the weapons he had and kind of the offense he had with that lower separation levels. So when you put him in an offense in this offseason with a Jamar Chase, whoever they draft, Devontae Smith, with the Devontae Parker as your number two receiver, Mike's second another year, I think that's when you can evaluate him. But 
I think this year is just too early to evaluate Tua just because of the weapons and his scenario with the hip injury and coming off with no offseason. I like that point that you were saying. And and so I did a mock draft, um, me and Boyas the other day. And for this upcoming draft, we had uh, Tony going to the Washington football team. And a, a kind of a, a different point uh, sidetrack that we can get back to is I find that wide receivers in their rookie year um, always underperform. Like sometimes you have like a Justin Jefferson who, who's a beast, but if you look at Jerry Judy and you look at um, Ruggs, uh, you know, wide receivers, it takes a little bit of time. You have to, they have to, uh, to learn, but I would, I think it's a great idea for Washington football team to get that, to get Tony in the first round, get that number two guy besides McLaurin and then plop that QB. Once you have both those weapons, um, alongside him, because I agree. I, I think it's not fair to a QB if, if you just, if he has no weapons. Yeah. Um, and if you look at uh, the Bengals this year, they draft Burrow, then they get Higgins and then they have green and then they have, you know, Tyler Boyd, Joe Mixon as a running back who's a receiving back can receive as well. So exactly. And how much does it screw up the QB's confidence? Like if you look at Darnold, right? Like that's your second overall pick. And all of a sudden this guy has no confidence and he might fetch a third round pick on the open market. Like, yeah. I don't know. I, I think you guys are a thousand percent correct. And you need to have those wide receivers in place. Yeah, exactly. Like you look at the success Justin Herbert had, he had a Keenan Allen, he had a Hunter Henry, he had a Mike Williams, um, Darius Guyton had a decent year. And then he also has Austin Eckler out of the backfield, who is probably one of the best receiving backs in football. And then you also look at a Joe Burrow, like you mentioned. So I think it's so important for QBs. It's very rare that a QB is unreal if they don't have good weapons. Uh, I'm not saying a knock on QB, but if you look at success of a Patrick Mahomes, a lot of weapons, he's a, probably the best quarterback, one of the best quarterbacks. Lee is the best quarterback, but he has weapons. Aaron Rodgers has a Devontae Adams. So I think it just shows dividends of how much a receiver that can create separation can help a QB like a Diggs to Josh Allen and took that next step for Allen. Why do wide receivers not do on their first year? Do you guys have any hypothesis towards this or any It's just, ideas? I think, I think teams that take a receiver in the first round are going to ask them to be the number one or two receiver. And you're going up against the best cornerback or the second best cornerback in the team who is a veteran in the league. So I think that's a point. A lot of teams that draft receivers in the first round, ask them to do so much in that offense. They're getting lined up against the number one cornerback in the league or on the team. Sorry. Yeah, I think it's a position that just they need that time to learn how to play at the NFL level. Uh, it's not where I know we talked a little bit how running backs learn throughout the first season, but I think they can really just be inserted and and start right away. It's pretty similar to the NFL to the college game, but receivers they have to learn all these nuisances with route running going against corners that are elite every single time rather than college cornerbacks who aren't as good. Uh, but I, th I think it just takes a long time for receivers to learn. And you see a lot of those guys break out in like their second, third, fourth years. Yeah. Well said. Do you guys want to transition to a draft talk now for the day? Uh, do you guys want to talk about the final consensus position? Oh yeah. I completely forgot about that. Sorry. Uh, we got QB as a consensus position. I mean, for me, it's a tough thing because there's so many traits to look for in a QB, but I'm just going to go. I just got to go like your arm talent, overall ability to place the football. I think if you combine arm talent and the ability to fix, so I'm going to go IQ to put that in, in possession. You need to have good traits like a Patrick Hones, but if you don't have that football IQ and know where to place the football and read an NFL defense, I think having a good IQ is going to translate at the NFL level for like a prospect coming out. Yeah. I got a couple of things. Uh, my checklist is uh, poise, decision-making, accuracy, playmaking, toughness, and leadership. Um, and, and one of the biggest things that you've seen in recent years, kind of a development in the game is you no longer see that many statues at QB and you see um, a lot of players who can scramble. And if you look at third downs, um, uh, for third downs that are converting to first downs as a result of a QB scramble, the number has gone up significantly yeah. over the past couple of years. And, uh, just talking about QB and, and looking when evaluating QB prospect, something that's really important to me that I don't know if it's discussed enough, um, and it's prominent in the Fields versus Wilson debate, is dual sport athletes. I know I mentioned this on the first podcast, but man, this is important to me. Like, I don't want a QB who's been playing QB since the age of 10 and only been playing QB. I want a QB who's been doing basketball, baseball 
cricket. I, I don't give a shit. <laughs> I just want to play another sport. And I'll, I'll give you some dual sport athletes. You tell me if they're good or not, okay? Kyler Murray, Russell Wilson, Patrick Mahomes, Deshaun Watson, Josh Allen, Carson Wentz. But, um, <laughs> <laughs> but yeah, that list like, speaks for itself. The list speaks for itself. And yeah, I'll, I'll, I'll let you guys kind of take it away. Yeah, I want an athletic freak at the position now. Yeah. Uh, it may have been a bit different in the early 2000s and in mid 2000s, but now I want an elite athlete at the position. I don't want to get stuck with a Kirk Cousins and quarterback purgatory where you're just getting a mid draft. You're not, you're not bad enough to tank and get a good pick, but you're not good enough to win a Super Bowl. So you can win a Super Bowl with, a not great QB. You see Peyton Manning on the Broncos yeah. uh, when he was in the twilight of his career. You see Jimmy Garoppolo making the Super Bowl. He's Jared Goff. Jared Goff, another one. Yeah, I, I want a quarterback who, like Patrick Mahomes, who has all the tools to succeed. And that's really why I like Zach Wilson in this draft over Justin Fields. Now, Justin Fields also has a lot of those traits, but I think yeah. Zach Wilson just has a little bit more of them. Yeah, I completely agree. I think the way I would compare Fields and Wilson is is that pocket presence and ability to like kind of create plays like a Patrick Mahomes. Justin Fields is a very good scrambling QB, but you don't see him making the plays like Zach Wilson does when he's scrambling around the back, the, the backfield for like five seconds, or whatever, and looking downfield. So I think that's a big thing is the athleticism, but the ability on say pocket presence, probably the best way to put it, to have the ability to have a good pocket presence. And I think if you're a good athlete, not an amazing athlete, and you have the good pocket presence and ability to know when pressure is coming, you can still be fine with escaping and scrambling first down as long as you have a good pocket presence. One um, theory or philosophy I kind of believe in is I strongly believe in if I was a general manager and I select a QB in the first round or second round, I'm sitting that QB for the first year, no matter what that QB is on my bench. Um, and, and that's kind of a philosophy I got from the Philadelphia 76ers. So when they were in the midst of their rebuild, they drafted Embiid and Embiid sit the fir- sat the first two years. Now he had air, air quotations, injuries, but who knows? Yeah. This, they did the same thing with Simmons. They sat him the first year. Well, he was, he was legitimately injured. Uh, injured. <laughs> they, they did the same thing with Mark Fultz too. Now they kind of fucked him up, but yeah. I I want to get your opinion. If you draft a QB, if you drafted Zach Wilson, are you sitting him the entire year? Probably I, not. There's there's some quarterbacks I would do it with, like your Patrick Mahomes. He definitely needed that year to learn, and you see how it worked out pretty good for them. But like Trevor Lawrence, I'm playing Trevor Lawrence, obviously. Yes. He, but he he is an exception to the rule. He's Trevor Lawrence. Yeah. Uh, but there's a, there's a few quarterbacks. I think Zach Wilson can get in there in the first year, maybe halfway through the season. Although I think whatever team drafts him, probably going to start him right away. Uh, yeah. Like Trey Lance, he, he needs, he's in that kind of Patrick Mahomes mold where he, he needs that year. Yeah. I, I wouldn't start him this year. 100% agree. I think, I, go ahead, Willie. I, 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 so sorry for cutting you off, but I don't think the Dolphins should have started Tua this past year. What's your opinion on that? I don't think they should have either. I, Brian Flores, I trust Brian Flores making the decision because he, air quote, said he gave him a better chance to win. And there's no way to me to question his opinion based on how good of a coach he's being. And I'm going to trust his opinion. And it's not even like they had pressure to start him because they were succeeding. It's not like they were they were 0 6 or whatever. They, were, they had a good record of 3 and 3 when he started. I think it was a mistake starting him. I think they shouldn't have. I thought maybe. Give, give them in a game if it wasn't meaningful, but I think that kind of hurt him because they, they had three rookies on the offensive line. They didn't have weapons, and he won games, but he didn't put up good numbers, in my opinion. Uh, I think it kind of hurt him, but I, I would just trust Brian Flores' decision because he's a way more knowledgeable person than me about football. Yeah, I think this kind of goes along with what we were talking about earlier, dropping a quarterback into a good situation with good wide receivers. I think you can play a quarterback in their first year if you have those weapons like Herbert did. Yeah. Uh, but I don't want to put a guy like like Tua where they put him in there and he was not set up to succeed. It kills his confidence and just doesn't set him good for the rest of the, his career. Yeah, and let's not forget, like, Tua almost died, like, a year ago. And they still, like, he had no offseason. He was still rehabbing. So I... I don't. I didn't agree with it started. I was kind of happy at first because 
I, you want to, you want to see a rookie play, of course, but that's kind of your heart talking, but your head is the other thing is you said, um, you let him learn a year under Ryan Fitzpatrick, who's a veteran quarterback who can read defenses. Then in year two, when you have a good defense and more improved offensive line and getting them one receiver, then you put him in and see what he can do. But he got, the thing is too, he got experience. He got experience down a playoff stretch. He played meaningful games, which many rookie quarterbacks don't do in the rookie season. So, I mean, he was put in a good position without weapons because of how good that defense was and the schedule they played because they didn't play too many good teams on the stretch as well. But I think that that's probably – that's just my opinion, but I don't think they should have started them. But we'll, we'll see how it impacts them in year two. We'll see how it goes. We'll, we'll see we how it goes. move on to our draft talk now? Yeah. Or does anyone else have anything else? I think I'm, we're good to go. So today we're going to be talking about running backs. Like I'll just start it off by listing my top five running backs and kind of hand it over to you guys. So number one running back, I have Najee Harris. Number two, I get Travis Etienne. Number three, Javante Williams. Number four, Michael Carter. And number five, I have Kenneth Gainwell. So curious to see you guys' thoughts on and your big board as well. Here we go. BMAC. Start the Najee you, you Harris You guys slander. are going to fucking hate my list. Oh, I got Etienne go. one, uh, and it's not close to anyone else uh i have javante williams number two and i have Najee harris all the way down at number three do we want to start talking about Najee Harris? yeah here? let's yeah I'm, I'm good to go so he ran for a 5.8 yards per carry behind an elite college offensive line at alabama i just I, when i watch the guy i'm i just he's an athletic freak but i i don't really see the vision, and I was talking about that earlier, where vision is my most important trait. And I just didn't see that from him as much as I would have liked. Uh, he, he does have fine vision. I think he'll be a fine NFL back. Uh, I just like those other guys a, a little bit more. Yeah, I back that. I think something I, I say is, yeah, he doesn't have that. He's a, more of a bigger running back, power running back, but that's what Alabama produces. Look at Mark Ingram, who's a power running back. Look at Derrick Henry. And I just think, Alabama produces good running backs. I know it's a custom. Look at TJ Eldon. He's elite. Yeah, but then you have the Josh Jacobs, even Damian Harris at 80, like took him in the third round. So, I mean, those power running backs, I get the take that is attributed to the offense line, but he is someone who is a powerful running back, but does have amazing, he's a very good receiver as well. So I think that's another element that someone like Derek Henry and Mark Ingram didn't have coming out of college. Two things. The first things first is you see a consistency between Alabama players drafted late in the first to second round and Ingram, Henry, Jacobs, and Harris. I think Damian Harris is about to be about to ball out. Yeah, he's if, very if good. Fantasy football, Damian Harris, <laughs> watch out. Um, second thing is funny that you bring up TJ Yeldon because I would honestly say that's my Etienne comp. Like, I think he can catch the ball. Like, I just I I said it earlier. I I don't I don't think he's explosive. I, I don't think he's when he's on the field, watch out. This guy might go to the house. Like this guy's scary, like a Christian McCaffrey or like a, a Barkley that I feel comfortable drafting in the first round. What I will say is that if I'm drafting Etienne, I think my roster, I think he has a really, he's, he has a good skill set and he's really good at what he's good at. Yeah. Um, your roster has to kind of need that skill set. Um, and, and I see a team like, uh, I can't think off the top of my head, like the Oakland Raiders. If I'm the Oakland Raiders, I'm like, I have Josh Jacobs. I'm looking at Etienne in the second round. I'm like, huh, I can, you know, like this guy would be a nice addition. But I, you're talking about, you said earlier that you like three down backs. I think Williams and Harris are both better three down backs than Etienne. No, 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 no. Etienne is like one of the best receiving backs to come out of college in years and now there are like christian mccaffrey's obviously better than him. saquon's obviously better than him but he's in my opinion the best receiving back in this class now Najee harris is is very good especially for a big guy but he is elite out of the backfield travis etienne agreed but is can, can he run between the tackles like uh like a williams can yeah i think i think he can am i actually like the thing i had is i think Whatever, now he's a very good prospect. I think this year hurt him. I think his stock dropped after he didn't have his year as he did last year. And the fact that Najee Harris had such a good year, I think that his stock got hurt from coming back for his senior year. Um, but the thing is, I think Etienne has good speed. And once he gets on the outside, like to the sideline, he's a very tough running back to bring down because he has great acceleration 
once he gets outside. He may be not as good running between the tackles like Najee Harris or Javante Williams, but if you kick him outside, he's a skilled back because of his acceleration. That's why I think Etienne is my number two. Uh, he's still a very talented prospect. I think Etienne's going to be fine in the league. He's going to be a good running back. But I just have Najee Harris because of his power and his versatility in the receiving game. Boys, can I ask you a question? Yeah. So you're the Pittsburgh Steelers, and Najee Harris is off the board. So you have a choice between Williams and Etienne to be your bell cow for the next five years. Who are you choosing? I think it depends for me who's on the board that they need help on the offensive line. So I think if the right offensive line is there for the Steelers, you take them in round one. But if someone's off there, maybe you reach on an Etienne or just take Javon Tua in the second round. I think it depends. I think offensive line is a bigger need for them getting a tackle. So I think it depends if a run of offensive tackles are there and a first round grade's not there. I think they could take Etienne. But I think it just depends who's there on the board because I think offensive tackle is a bigger need than running back for them. Agreed. Agreed. Who, who would you pick? I I agree completely with Adam. I think the Steelers need offensive line help, and I'm also a big believer in that I would rather have a better offensive line than a, a good running back. Yeah. Uh, I'm of the vein where I wouldn't pay a running back. There's times where I would take them in the first round, but I, I think I would rather take a second or third round. I think the running back, I think the value is just so good there at running back. Running back's normally a, a deep position. There's a lot of these guys in most drafts uh there are exceptions of course uh but i think you can get like a michael carter or something in the third fourth round or a kenneth gainwell and i I would rather have those guys uh late than pick one of these guys early yeah i 100 agree with you i think especially when you talk about the ceo's about to mention they still have snell they have anthony mcfarland who they took in the third round last year so i think they're more hesitant to take one because they have people and it shows how if you build that offensive line, a running back and still run behind it. One person I kind of want to put out, like, will uh, be matches, matches, Kenneth Gainwell. Kenneth Gainwell started over Antonio Gibson, like, when Antonio Gibson played. Antonio Gibson was kind of that versatile running back receiver. Like, Kenneth Gainwell started over him, so it shows you how talented this guy actually is. He, he is very small, though, which worries yeah. me. But he's also, he's also young, and he had most of this year off, so hopefully – you see him weigh in at, at his pro day. He'll be a bit bigger uh, yeah. than he last weighed in at. But he is very explosive, very good out of the backfield, uh, and looked really good on tape from his freshman year. Yeah. I just yeah. agree. Who, who's – um? I know comp's not good, but who's your comp for him? Uh, I want to go with someone like Austin Eckler. Yeah, that, that's probably that's probably one of the better ones I could think of for him. Okay. Uh, a smaller guy, but a really athletic, explosive guy at the same time. I think he can probably run between the tackles, but like Eckler, that isn't what I would ask him to do as his main role. Um, so yeah, would you? Would you say like? Okay, does he have one of the lower floors? Or sorry, one of the higher floors. Like, I, I don't really see him being a complete bust at the NFL level. I agree. Because he can be a receiving back. Without a doubt, you take someone in the third, fourth round. If they're receiving back and provide some value to your offense, I think that's fine. Whoa. I think so. You say fourth round? For Kenneth Gainwell, he's probably going to go somewhere in the third or fourth round. I think if you can get someone in the fourth round that's going to provide some aspect of value to your offense, I think that's an upgrade. And that's fine for me taking someone like that if they're not going to be a first down back, whatever. Can we talk about Javante Williams quick? Because yeah. I fucking love this guy. I have, yeah, there's a reason awesome. I have him above Najee Harris. He's awesome. He is... I talked about contact balance when I was talking about running backs. This guy forced 85 missed tackles this season, which <laughs> led the nation. Now, yeah. Najee Harris also, I think, was number two in that statistic. But this guy forces missed tackles like no tomorrow. Like He's going to get a- those extra yards. Yeah, Javante Williams is honestly one of my favorite prospects in the draft for that day two option. He's going to be taken early day two if that's somewhere around 35 or I think somewhere between 35 and like 60, somewhere around that Javante Williams. It's a target as a Dolphins fan I really would look into if they don't solve the running back problem in free agency or if they, I don't know, if they take one in the first round, depending if they trade back. But Javante Williams provides so much value. He's a powerful runner. He is a good pass catcher too. Someone I was talking to Will, I compare him to is similar to kind of Aaron Jones type player. 
both kind of Aaron Jones can run between the tackles. He's a bit, he's hard to tackle down and he can also provide value in the receiving game. Yeah. That's a really good comp. Yeah. Actually. I never, I, I didn't, I've said this before. I'm not a really big comp guy. I don't look at pro comparisons. I'd rather just look at the player, but Aaron Jones, now that you say that is, is a very good comp for him. Yeah. William is a scary player that I would, I'd fear if I was opposing, if I was a defensive yeah. coordinator, like give him a year or two in the NFL and very good. He shot up the draft boards too. Like he was like someone in the fifth, sixth round at the start of the year. And now he's being consensus as a second round, probably second round pick, I would say. Didn't he have like a 300 yard game? Yeah. yeah it was like him and his backfield partner, uh, Michael Carter, uh, who's also going to go pretty early in the draft. They both had like 200 yard games each in the same game. It was ridiculous. Speaking of like a 300 yard game, someone I wanted to mention out was Jared Patterson from Buffalo. He's someone I was probably going to go in that fifth round, but he's had 409 yards and eight TDs in a game. So it's kind of hard to not acknowledge him as a prospect when he put up that kind of numbers in the game. Are you uh, you guys paying running back just very quickly? I, I already said this. No. no. Uh, running backs tend to... F- they never Expense. tend to work out with those big deals after their rookie contracts. Look at I Todd think they're Gurley. better, more explosive when they're younger, uh, but I'll let you go, Adam. Yeah, I 100% agree. Um, so it's like Aaron Jones floating around the open market. As a Dolphins fan, he's been linked to them a lot and someone I wouldn't pay more. And If you can get him at like 10, I'd be fine with, but if he's getting someone like 15 million, I'm not paying him because it's such an expendable position. You have a good offensive line. They're just so expendable. A lot of teams just get rookies on a four-year deal and then draft another one. That's kind of the nature, unless you're Christian McCaffrey, Saquon Barkley, someone that talented like Dalvin Cook. They're just so expendable. It's been seen in the NFL. It's also such like a physical position that they're getting tackled short, short careers, 400, 400 times a season. Like you see a Todd Gurley where his, his knees are just done now. Like he was so good, got that big deal, but his knees can't take it anymore. Yeah. I understand. I agree. So if you guys are good to move on, I think that's all the, the talk I have for running backs. Unless you have something else to add before we, we move on to the two minute warning. No, I am. I'm good. I'm going to take the two minute warning. Let's, this let's week. do it. Ho- hopefully we'll make it a little bit uh, harder than it has in the past. <laughs> wow. Wow. It's, the Wayne Gretzky been, one couldn't stump anyone. Let's be real. It's been quite easy. Uh, <laughs> and I've just been dominant. So I'll give you guys a chance here. Uh, so this is going to be a little bit of a different approach. It's going to be a little competition between you two. Uh, and it's a little different of, it's not a question per se, but I'm going to name players. So I'm going to list off some players and then you're going to have to guess what category and what's common in between them. So I'll give an NHL example here. Um, so if I started naming John Tavares, Austin Matthews, Mitch Marner, I would, of course, the category would be the players on the Toronto Maple Leafs. Okay. I could also start naming defensemen where I would go Colton Perenko, Morgan Riley, TJ Brody, Ivan Provorov. Uh, so let's let's get it started here. Yo. Ivan Provorov, love. Respect. I love Ivan <laughs> Provorov. He's a beast. So you guys can jump in at any time. And the first one to get this right uh, will, will be the winner of this question. We'll do three questions uh here and we'll, we'll take whoever gets the most hopefully uh it's going to be in- increasing difficulties hopefully the last one might stump you guys uh i'm ready to go fred warner middle linebacker <laughs> no debo samuel players one point for willie here you are correct next one Dion sanders mel blunt Night Train Lane. <laughs> uh, running backs. <laughs> Wait, uh, Deion's, Deion's, the, no, the, multi-sport athletes. I don't... Champ Bailey. Cornerbacks. You're close here. All pro Hall of Fame cornerbacks. There we go. Holy fuck. That's so it's, yeah, so it's right. one, one, one here. There we go. This is, this is a big one. This, here. this actually might stump you. I'm, I'm hoping this stumps you here. I'll, I'll give you a hint after like five players if right. you don't get it. Deontay Johnson. Players who can't catch the ball. <laughs> I might give that to you, actually. <laughs> Let's go. Um, I'll, 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 say the, I'll say the next two and, and then the next couple. Uh, Jerry Judy. Uh, receivers, are the, receivers are the most drops. 
Actually, that, that was a lot easier than than I thought it was going to be for you guys there. I thought that was going to be difficult, but I'll, I'll give it to Willie there. <laughs> Adam did get the, the exact category. It was uh, leaders in drops, but Willie said receivers who can't catch the ball. So I'll, I'll give that to him. You let him put uh, that as a joke, Willie, and you got it right. <laughs> Deontay Johnson, like, like, I wa- like the amount of Steelers games that I saw him drop balls. It's It was comedical. Oh, yeah. Like, <laughs> You, you see some really good players on this list. Like, if I go deeper here, tied for sixth are Zeke Elliott, McCole Hardman, Tyreek Hill, Alvin, Alvin Kamara, DK Metcalf, and Darius Slayton, and we're all tied for sixth. Jeez. Those are some good receivers. Really? Wow. Yeah. Wow. All right. Now, Zeke did have the, the drops, a lot of drops this year, uh, and he kind of didn't have a great year, but yeah. All right, boys. Well, I think that's all the time we have today. So I want to thank everyone for listening. Take it easy, everyone.